Welcome to the Get Your Goat podcast here. A lot to get into. Rants, 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 rants to get into. Elite Eight, Final Four, bursts on the line. What happened? NFL, NBA news, my top five NHL teams. Baseball opening day tomorrow. Who do I think are the top five teams going into the season? Who are some players to watch out for? What's going on? But first, I have to start off that today is not a good day. It's not. Last night was not a good night. My Michigan Wolverines, number one seed. Number one of the East, lost to UCLA in 11 seed, 51 to 49. 49 points is all you could muster against UCLA? Are you kidding me? That's all you could do? Is 49? I know Mick Cronin, back in the Bearcats day, it was, you know, defense. He's been preaching defense with UCLA. That's where they turned it around. But come on. 49 points? 4D9 points? UCLA? Didn't held anybody to 49 points this whole season. Not one time. They've been held to 48 points in February. They lost to USC 66 to 48. So they they know what it feels like. But they haven't held anybody to below 50. 52 was the lowest against Seattle U. Guess what? They played a comparable team of Michigan, Ohio State. They lost 77 to 70. Really? Really? USC beat them 66-48. Colorado in the tournament 70-61. Then you lost to Oregon State in the Pac-12 tournament. You lost to USC before that. Oregon, you were on this huge losing streak. And now you decide you know, to beat Michigan State in the final four and go on this little defensive tear and win. You think I'm impressed by that? I'm not. I'm not impressed by it. Not at all. This was not a good UCLA win. It wasn't. This wasn't good Bruins. It wasn't. It wasn't. This was bad Michigan. Very bad. Very poor Michigan. This was not a good Michigan team. Nothing good was on display from the Michigan Wolverines last night. Not one thing you can point to that says this team should have been in the Final Four. I would have rather Michigan beat UCLA, you know, then get crushed against Gonzaga. Because you can say, hey, you know, Gonzaga, they're talking about Gonzaga, the same likes as, you know, 76, Indiana. Are they the greatest college basketball team ever? You know, that's the conversation we're having with Gonzaga. We're not having that with Michigan. So I know that, and we're for sure, hell, ain't having it with UCLA either. So I don't want to hear anything good about UCLA. Because UCLA wasn't good at all yesterday. The only good player they had was Johnny Juzang who went for 28 points yesterday and who played like a star. And that's because uh, Jawan Howard didn't want to make a defensive adjustment. Why would you put Eli Brooks on him? You don't put Eli Brooks, you don't put Mike Smith on him. Uh, you put Franz Wagner on him or Shondi Brown. When he gets that hot, you put one of your better defenders on him. You don't put a smaller defender in Eli Brooks on him who got exposed time after time. It was pathetic, Michigan Wolverines. I blame this loss 
on guess what the leaders, supposed leaders of this team, Mike Smith, Eli Brooks, and Franz Wagner, they were terrible. Wagner only made one field goal the whole game. Four points, didn't make a three. Eli Brooks, eight points, three for eight, didn't make a three. Mike Smith, three points, oh, one three-pointer, and he missed two clutch free throws at the end of the first half. Guess what, that two free throws, that ties the game. You have the lead, actually. UCLA might be the one needing the tying shot, not Michigan. Could go into overtime. You never know. I hope those two free throws by Mike Smith haunts him the rest of his life. I'm not going to say anything crazier than that, but really, really, Mike Smith, that's what you do. You're a leader of this team. That's what you give. Because when you look at it closely, their percentages were about the same. Field goal, you know, 38-39. Three-point shooting, they both only made three, 23-27%. Assists, the same. Steals, the same. Blocks, the same. Michigan had six more turnovers, but not a lot of points or anything was really generated from that. That was just bad Michigan. But Michigan lost this game because they were 6 for 11, equivalent to 54% from the free throw line. 54%. That's pathetic. And you know what I said on a previous podcast? Alabama lost the game to UCLA because they shot 44% from the free throw line, and they could have beat UCLA. Michigan shot 54%. I know Michigan's not a... Great free throw team, free throw shooting team, but you know they're a seventy percent kind of free throw shooting team, so they should have at least made eight free throws, eight for eleven. Guess what? That Mike Smith two, that's fifty one, fifty one. Whereas UCLA was six or seven, only one miss all night from the line. You can't have that. Uh, I don't know if it's just you know something UCLA does, and you know the opponent gets wigged out on the free throw line, which happened to Alabama. And now Michigan, but what happened there? It was terrible. Michigan played terrible. Uh, Michigan missed their last eight shots. Their last eight shots, they actually didn't even make a field goal with 523 left in the game because it was 46-43. Shondi Brown hits a three-pointer, 46-46, with five minutes and 23 seconds left, and Michigan doesn't make a basket from that point. Zero field goals. Their points came from free throws, and guess what? Hunter Dickinson made one but missed one. They could could have been up uh, 48-46, but they weren't. They were then down 48-47. Franz Wagner... Made both of his. And that was it. Then it missed free throws. After that. Then really. I have to say this. Uh, Franz Wagner. You know they were down 50 to 49. They have a timeout. You know they can go for the win. Can go for a 2. Because it's 50 to 49. Franz Wagner. Gets the ball, you know, then he has a wide open shot because the defenders bite. He has a wide open shot and he airballs a three. Franz Wagner airballs a three. How do you do that? Why do you do that? What? What? I mean, what the hell was going on? That made him just jack up, airball a three so short, at least hit the rim, get a possession, but he airballs a three. How do you do that? How do you airball an open three? You're supposed to be a, you know, a lottery pick, a high lottery pick with the 14th pick or something like that? A first round pick? And you're airballing a three? And then you know what happens? He misses. It lands. In Eli Brooks's lap, lands in his lap with 12 seconds left. And guess what? They still have a timeout. They can call a timeout, reset with 12 seconds left, make a pass, do something else. But Eli Brooks doesn't even look 
if the basket or where he's shooting it, he just catches it and throws it up, and it doesn't even hit the backboard. It hits nothing. It just goes straight up and goes straight down. You want to talk about a missed layup? That is something else. What the hell were those two guys thinking? I mean, good riddance to both of them. Eli Brooks, you're gone. You're graduated. Hasta la vista, baby. And for Franz, same thing to you too. Mo was way better than you. Mo could shoot free throws. He could shoot better from the three. He was a post player. He stuck his tongue out. He got gritty. He was gritty defensively. Mo was a package. Mo was great. Mo led us to a real national championship run. And of course, he lost to Villanova. But guess what? He won the Big Ten. He didn't win the division, but he won the championship. He took them as close as you can get to the promised land. Franz, you're an imposter at best. But we will not stop there. Those That, to me, was the two biggest things. So then, you know what? Of course, you know, eight seconds left. You know, Brooks misses the layup. UCLA gets the ball back. They foul. So there's six seconds left. And it's 50-49 UCLA. And Johnny Juzang, you know, the hot player, 28 points. Misses his first three free throw. Michigan ices him. And uh, they get the ball because he misses his second free throw. So Michigan calls a timeout. They have six seconds left to do something. Six seconds left. What do you do? Call play. Run to the basket. You need two points to die. Or you, if you have a good look for three, you can go for it. So this is what they do. They inbound it to Mike Smith. Mike Smith, who is like one for six on the day already. One for six. Only has three points the whole game. He decides to jack up a three-pointer, and he had wide open room to run. He already blew this guy. He could have gone to the basket and laid the ball up easily or got the foul. Of course, I don't want him shooting free throws as he missed them already. But to me, that was a better shot. He jacked up a three, and guess what? Michigan got the rebound, and then it was knocked out by UCLA. So Michigan still has the ball left with a half second. So guess what? Hunter Dickinson was their best player. Yes, he only had 11 points, uh, but he was getting mismatches. Mismatches by our center for UCLA fouled out. So, you know, you could have tossed it, tipped it in from Dickinson because he had a heck of a game. Uh, do his stats jump out, but he was the best player by far on the team. Nope. They throw it to Wagner, who didn't make a three at all that game, uh, who only had one made field goal all game. He jacks up a three, and it doesn't go in. Of course that ain't going in. You blew it. You're not good. Eli Brooks, you're not good. Mike Smith, you're not good. This was a terrible performance by the Michigan Wolverines all around. Uh, I'm glad. I hope there's a purge. I hope everybody leaves. Uh, and then their number one class of McDonald's All-Americans can come in next year. And Juwan can write this ship with the actual players he wants. Because some of these guys, you know, were uh, transfer portals come in. Some of them are still from John Beeline. Uh, now Juwan can fully coach his team. It was huge to me that, you know, Isaiah Livers wasn't in this game. Either he can at least, uh, he's our best three-point shooter. Uh, But to me, that's the only thing. So, Michigan, thank you. Thank you for screwing up. Now I have no excitement to watch the Final Four. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. I'll see you next November. Uh, Maybe football will be better next year. But good riddance to all you bums. Then before that game, USC got shellacked by Gonzaga. Not even close throughout any of the game. Uh, Gonzaga won by 19 points. But they were up by much as 24, while USC did not lead it all that game. Wasn't close. Gonzaga thoroughly dominated all facets of the game. Field goal efficiency, three-point efficiency, out-rebounded them. Way better passing. This team looks way more elite. 
than USC did. I thought USC could upset them, have a chance to, but they didn't. Uh, you know, turnovers were about the same, but USC couldn't capitalize really on anything, and Gonzaga was a much better team. But I picked Gonzaga, and I was right, picked Michigan, and I was right, I also picked Michigan to win it all, and that was the biggest jinx I did on my last podcast, so if you guys want to blame me for a little bit of that, I'll take it. But I wasn't playing out there. I mean, I think I could enough. I think maybe I airballed the three, but I at least just at least overshoot it to make sure there's enough juice for that thing to get in there. I picked Houston to beat Oregon State, and Houston did. Uh, they kind of blew a 17 point lead, but Oregon State really never took a huge lead because he didn't uh, didn't take a lead all game. Houston was in control even when it got close. Houston defense uh, clapped down, and again, same story for Houston. You know, we missed nine free throws. He lost by six. You do the math and tell me who could have won if you made all your free throws. But Houston's defense was really on point the whole game because Houston really didn't look good offensively. Uh, it was kind of just their defense and uh, Oregon's inability to convert on the line. Turnovers and Houston just dominating the offensive boards to me. That's why they pose such a huge threat to the rest of the teams is because they're great defensively and they get a ton of second chance points that they convert. So that's what makes them, to me, one of the most dangerous teams left. But again, there's only four. And then Baylor beat Arkansas. Again, Arkansas was down by a lot. They tried to keep it close, but they didn't. each three they made was huge, but they only made three of those. They were three for 11 from three. Again, they missed, you know, six or seven free throws. Uh, it seems to be, you know, the thing of a tournament, missing free throws costs you because you don't know where those points will go, what happens. But he missed them. Can't go back now. You miss free throws. Uh, Baylor is just the better team. Uh, Davion Mitchell is so important to the Baylor Bears. Uh, Masi Teague was so well, uh, even when Jared Butler wasn't playing at his best. So really, this team is very dangerous, and I think the Baylor-Houston matchup will be very, very good. That's all I have to say on college basketball. Uh, That was my huge rant. Was Michigan just pathetic? Then another good news, this should make Russell Wilson happy, uh, shifting to the NFL. Uh, Seahawks signed extensions with wide receiver Tyler Lockett and their guard who they just traded for, uh, Gabe Jackson. Uh, This should make him happy. Uh, To me, this contract for Tyler Lockett is well-deserved. It doesn't even make him, you know, huge, great money, but it does make him more decent money, keeps him around in Seattle. And I think it's great because he's a tremendous wide receiver. Last year, his first season with over or with 100 receptions Uh, not a lot of receivers have that but 100 receptions over a thousand yards and back-to-back seasons 18 touchdowns combined the past few seasons and even before that he was on the verge of that with 965 yards and 10 touchdowns so he's a very productive skilled wide receiver i started off as you know kick return punt returner but he has blossomed into a much bigger and better role and is very valuable to the Seattle Seahawks team. So this should make Russell Wilson happy, but they have a receiver signed, uh, Gabe Jackson, uh, guard to protect Russell Wilson. So this is all good news for him. Hopefully it all is good for him and he likes it. Uh, But it also creates cap space uh, for the Seahawks with these extensions, at least more cap space for this year since their contracts will be loaded for the next few years. So that helps out. The Seahawks as well create cat space. We'll just see what they do with that with only three uh, draft picks left and uh, not a lot of free agents left on the market. I know there's been talks about Russell Wilson pushing for Antonio Brown to sign with the Seahawks for the Seahawks pushing them or him pushing the Seahawks to sign Antonio. I think where Antonio goes He'd be a great fit anywhere. Uh, he just not, we're not talking about any off-field issues. 
that he has, but on the field, he will produce. He's a great wide receiver. He's one of the greatest even right now at this time, even being out of the game for a year and just coming back with a short stint for the Bucks. But to any team should want Antonio Brown, especially if there's no off-the-field issues. Uh, pairing Antonio Brown with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett would make that trio of wide receivers uh, one of the best in the game, having that many options, especially for Russell. That would be great. He would produce well next to those guys. We just saw how A.B. produced in a system with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, but also Gronkowski and Scotty Miller. They had a ton of weapons. A.B. still got looks, still got re- receiving yards, catches. Uh, that's because they throw the football so much, they throw it more than uh, Seahawks. But Seahawks also signed Gerald Everett. They want to run the ball more with Chris Carson, so I don't know if this would be a great signing if they don't want to let Russ cook, then definitely don't sign him. But if you want to let Russ cook, go out and sign Antonio Brown. I know the Ravens, maybe we're talking about it, pairing Lamar Jackson with him and Sammy Watkins. I think that could be formidable since they do run the football a lot more. They don't need a bunch of wide receivers. They only need one or two. That would be helpful. 49ers. Uh, Trent Williams was also, I think, pushing for the 49ers to sign him, I think he would do well with Jimmy G or if they bring in a Mac Jones or Justin Fields, getting another uh, wide receiver, capable wide receiver in there, more experienced uh, to kind of guide those younger guys like Kendrick Bourne, Debo Samuel, uh, Brandon Ayuk. I think it would be great for the development of Jimmy Garoppolo or any other quarterback that comes into this 49er system, at least for the moment. But I think Antonio Brown would be a great fit anywhere. I think he should just re-sign with the Bucks. He's in a good place there. He's with Tom Brady. You would just won a Super Bowl. Caught a Super Bowl pass touchdown. You could go out and do another one. Uh, I know he kind of wants more money. Bucks don't have that kind of money anymore after he signed everybody. But, you know, just sign the cheaper deal. You've made a lot of money. You've also wasted a lot of money, wasted a lot of opportunity. Just stay where you're in a good spot with Tom Brady and the Bucks. Then, in the NBA, on Monday I was wrong about both my picks. I picked the Celtics against the Pelicans, and I was wrong. They blew that uh, first half lead, and uh, Zion just looks amazing. Zion Williamson is so good offensively and defensively. Uh, He's just so aggressive and assertive. And he is getting to where he's fun to watch. He's healthy now. So he's fun to watch. Uh, Jason Tatum also balled out with 34 points. Kimba Walker played well. Uh, But Zion, Brandon Egram were kind of just too much for the Celtics team. But in a matchup of young, young players, that is great for basketball. Great for the NBA. Then the Bucks and Clippers. I was wrong about the Bucks. I did not expect the Clippers to hit 19 three-pointers, uh, but they did. You know, Giannis played well. You know, 32 points back off a knee injury. Chris Middleton, I wasn't expecting to play, but he did. Drew Holiday all played well. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, you know, got what he usually did. Uh, Reggie Jackson, I think it rubs it for Morbin. He should with 20 points, staying with Marcus Morris. At uh, 25, he was 4 for 7 from a 3. Uh, everybody shot from three so well, except for Kawhi Leonard, who didn't make a three-pointer at all. And this game could have been even more out of hand if he made some of his shots. But I'll try to get back on track tonight with two more picks. The first, the Mavericks and the Celtics, Dallas versus Boston. Who do I got? I'm rolling with Dallas. I'm going with Dallas. I don't like, you know, these picks. And then, you know, they just lose. You know, I like to pick the opposite because then pick the loser again because then they have a higher chance of winning. At least I think that. But Mavericks are playing a lot better uh, recently, especially on the defensive end. The defense for Boston has been really poor, and especially when you have Tristan Thompson out, Jalen Brown out. That doesn't help for the Celtics having key guys out. I think the Mavericks will do well. Kristaps Porzingis uh, is playing really solid. Uh, Luka Doncic 
is so efficient. People like to make fun of his, you know, three-point shooting, but he shoots a lot of three-pointers. Not all of them are going to go in. He's not Steph Curry or Klay Thompson, but he is a huge nightmare problem for opposing defenses to try to contain because he is so shifty and he plays so well. Then the Bucks and the Lakers. Andre Drummond starting at center tonight. Having a piece of Andre Drummond. See how well he is. What he's like in a Lakers uniform. What he brings to the table. But it's not going to matter. Bucks are winning this game after a loss to an L.A. team already. Uh, no LeBron. No AD. No win. No win at all. Uh, that's just too much to handle. Yes. Milwaukee doesn't have, you know, a key role player in P.J. Tucker. But since LeBron and AD's been out, the offense has not been the same. The defense hasn't been the same. Uh, whereas Milwaukee's playing really strong. I uh, just got blown out by the Clippers. I expect Milwaukee to rebound to beat the Lakers, who the Lakers beat earlier in the season. Uh, but that's because LeBron James had an MVP type of night. And now they will have no MVP type of night from anybody. Maybe Montrose Harrell plays really well. I can see him stepping up. But this Bucks team is going to be too much for this Lakers team. And while on the topic of the Lakers, there was news of LeBron, you know, recruiting Steph Curry. They just recently played together in an All-Star game. That's kind of why the report went at it is because LeBron also, you know, a little general manager on the side, uh, Wants to assemble, wants to, his team to be better. Uh, kind of uses it in the All-Star game as a you know, tool, recruiting pitch type of thing to use to bring more players to his team and to his brand. And I think that would be huge if he was able to get Steph. I think it was reported that the decision has to be made this summer. Is he going to stay with the Warriors, sign the contract, be a lifetime Warrior or not? If he doesn't, that would be huge. I feel if Steph wasn't to sign, he wants to stay in L.A., him and Aisha. They want to stay in the California area. Why not L.A.? Build up his brand even more. Play with LeBron and then get a chip. And then you really have a big three on a big three. With the Nets, you have KD, Kyrie, and James Harden. Three prolific scores. And then you have LeBron... Steph Curry and AD, and to me, I don't think it's not even fair. I don't think LeBron and AD on a team is fair, even against you know the trio of the Nets at all. But Steph in there, the greatest shooter in the history of the game, in the history of shooters, uh, Mark Wahlberg-esque type shooter, Steph Curry with LeBron, that just feels too good to be true. Uh, you know, the little rivalry that they had with the Cavs and the... Uh, Warriors put to rest, Steph teaming with LeBron, getting more chips, that would be fun. That showdown, Nets, Lakers, that's just, you know, simulate the whole season, you know, let's skip to the final, that's all we want to see. Yeah, it'd be, you know, basketball at its finest right there, the scoring the offense of Steph and James Harden. Uh, Kyrie, KD, the defense of Anthony Davis, the finesse and everything that LeBron brings to the table. That would be amazing. I don't think it'll be good, get done. Uh, don't think it'll be happening. But just that idea, just people talking about it, that very is very tantalizing. I think LeBron would be great, great there. Now the NHL, shifting now to hockey. I picked one game on Monday, that was the Penguins-Islanders, and I was right about it. I was right. The Penguins have looked so good in the month of March. Uh, this team has looked so good, especially against the Islanders. They're 6-2 and two against the Islanders on the season. They're done playing them. But, you know, no top-line help. Of the usual Crosby, Rust, Gensel lineup. It was all the rest that played so well. Tristan Jari was having a great first period. Then he kind of left the game. Didn't come back in after the first period. 
uh, because of some kind of upper body ailment. Casey DeSmith comes in, only lets in one goal on 20 shots, had himself a heck of a game, and really uh, saved this Pens team as they kind of look deflated after losing Jari in the first period. But I'll take a Penguins win. I'll take being tied for second in an East, technically in third, but when you're tied with points with the Islanders, that's not something to hang your head low at all because you're closer to first place and being an outright first place than you are losing your grip on third place. So that's good news. That's great for the Penguins. Then that same night, the Sabres were up 3-0 to zero going into the third period. Would they stop their 17-game losing streak finally? Would they do it? Would the Flyers let them do it? Long-time hated rivals of the Penguins who have an 18-game losing streak say, let's let the Buffalo Sabres break it here so that the Penguins can still have that 18-game losing streak. Nope, the Flyers stormed back in the third period, tied the game, then won in overtime, putting the Buffalo winless streak, losing streak, to 18 games, tying the Pittsburgh record. Pittsburgh's not alone now. And Buffalo is flat out terrible. They really are not a good team. They don't do anything well. All their metrics are dead last. Uh, Dead last in everything. Uh, 5-on-5 scoring, 5-on-5 scoring. uh, Chances, even strength, power play, penalty kill, uh, goalie. Everything is just so bad. You can't get any worse than the Buffalo Sabres in any facet of the game of hockey. That is how bad the Sabres are. They only have 17 points. Imagine being on an 18-game losing streak. Imagine being that bad. Only having six wins. You're the only team in the league with no double-digit wins. And with two months left in the season, I don't even know if the Sabres will get there at all. I don't know if he'll get to double digits. But I'll take pick two games tonight after I give you my NHL top five. My NHL top five is... And it was hard. Number five is Tampa Bay Lightning. It was hard to leave out my Pittsburgh Penguins in this list because they've been playing so well. But when you look at the metrics, the analytics of both teams, all these teams that I'm going to mention, Pittsburgh is just on the outside at like six. I wanted to bump them, but I just couldn't because you have Tampa Bay Lightning who has 50 points. Tampa Penguins there quite yet. Uh, Tampa Bay's on a three-game losing streak. That's why I have them at five. You know, they moved all the way down from one to five because of a three-game losing streak. You know, you have a kind of eight-point threshold and stranglehold. On your division, it looks like you're going to blow it out. Then you lose three in a row, and teams catch up to you. And now longer, you are no longer the President's Trophy favorites uh, to be the best team in the league. But on the bright side, their penalty kill is great. They're taking a lot of penalties, but they're killing a lot of penalties off. Victor Hedman looks like the best defenseman, especially with uh, Ekblad, which we'll talk about in a little bit, being injured. Uh Looks like it could be Hedman's Norris Trophy to lose again as the best defenseman. He is head and shoulders above the rest. Number four, the Carolina Hurricanes. They were on a three-game losing streak as well until yesterday. They pulled out a win and are now one point out of first place. Uh, So that's huge because they're both Tampa Bay, Carolina on three-game losing streaks. That's why it was so hard not to put the Penguins in there. That's because they haven't had a losing game, three-game losing streak in so long and definitely didn't have one in March where they only lost three games in all of March, uh, whereas other teams are losing three in a row. Whereas the Panthers, who are doing the exact opposite, have won three in a row, positioned themselves really well at 50 points, tied with the Lightning, uh, playing really well, but had that Ekblad injury. Fortunately, it was nothing too crazy, where it's looking like he could be out for uh, 12 weeks, uh, you know, which is most of the season. Uh, that puts him out all of April, 
in May, uh, playoff start in May, uh, Stanley Cup will be in June, so you don't know, like, hey, if I make my team to the Stanley Cup final, can I come back? Could I bank on that? I think they could. Uh, I think Ekblad would come back, at least play a game for the Panthers if they were to make it that far, but it'll be a very tough road ahead losing Ekblad. Number two, hate to say it, but it's the Washington Capitals are moving up. Uh, Pittsburgh was so good in March, but just below them was the Washington Capitals. It 11 wins and three losses in March. Uh, TJ Oshie, Nick Batstrom have been amazing. Alex Ovechkin has also been on a hot tear with goals recently. He's catching up. It looks like he wouldn't be a Rocket Richard person. Looked like Matthews had it, but Ovechkin's catching up. Announcers every night are saying he's record-breaking what's new, uh, looking at records, seeking in on the top five of goals all time. That's Alexander Ovechkin. Now number one is the Vegas Golden Knights. Why are they number one? Why they are winning without Alex Pietrangelo, their best defenseman. So that will only bolster this team when he comes back. And they're great against, you know, their bottom competition in the West Division. You know, the Blues, the Coyotes, Kings, Ducks, uh, missing one, the Sharks. Uh, they're great against those teams. I think 19-3-1, beating those teams, beating the bottom. Uh, but against the Avs and the Wild, they're 5-5. Five and five. The benefit is that the Avalanche and the Wild are 2-3 and three right now. So if the season were to end, they'd have to play each other. Only one of those makes it. Uh, then you'd have to play them next. So that's a huge benefit for Vegas. Hopefully that stays the case. Hopefully they don't drop to the two or three, or they would have to play both of them. Hopefully the Knights can keep it to where they can play one or the other. And they're doing that because they've won three of the past four. Marc-Andre Fleury has played so well. So this team is definitely getting it done. So there you have my top five, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Florida Panthers, the Carolina Hurricanes, the Washington Capitals, and the Vegas Golden Knights. Now tonight I will pick two games, the first being the Flyers and the Sabres. The Flyers were so close to winning last game against the Flyers. The Sabres were, but they couldn't do it. I don't expect this game to be close tonight, even though Philadelphia's goalie is terrible, both of them. Not playing good Carter Hart, Brian Elliott. Uh, I don't have any faith in anything in Buffalo. Could it be close? Yes, but after how close the last game was, I expect the Flyers to come out and win. Buffalo having a streak of 19 losing games in a row. That's in play. Then... The Kings and the Golden Knights. Uh, Kings were hot, but they're on a little losing streak now. I think the Knights are going to win, even with Marc-Andre Fleury out, presumably. They've still been winning. Uh, as I said, they've won three out of their past four. They're at home. They're very well at home. Their offense is doing well. Mark Stone, Max Patch are ready. I think they can do it. I'm rolling with the Knights. Vegas born baby. Go Vegas. Now, the rest of the show will be dedicated to baseball and MLB that is it. That's I will wrap it up with also a get your goat rant as well. That is all baseball. All baseball ahead. So, I'm going to tell you who my top five teams are going in to the baseball season starting tomorrow. Yes, you can learn some things through spring training and whatnot, and, but really, it's really how well they did last year. The players that onboarded coming in makes the teams they are. So, number five is the Atlanta Braves Y. Why? Because they have a sensational superstar in Ronald Acuna Jr. He is amazing. 
he was close to the home run uh, leader last year in the shortened season. He is very, very special. 41 home runs last year, almost 40 stolen bases. Uh, fast, young, talented, exciting, must to watch. Their bullpen got better. Uh, their rotation, starting rotation, got better with Charlie Morton, Drew Slice, Miley. That's good. They're only going to improve on their previous record, but I think Acuna is going to do really well for this team. Uh, and I'll, of course, I'll get to what I'll say more about him with some other of my picks. But to me, Atlanta Braves are number five right now, standing where they are in a very difficult East Division in the National League. But they are number five. So then who is number four? That would be my team, my supposed team, the New York Yankees. Why are they number four? Well, they have one of the best pitchers in baseball in Garrett Cole. They signed former Cy Young winner Corey Kluber. They got Jamison Talion. Luis Severino could be back. Will he be back to his full self? We don't know. Is Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton going to be playing? If so, a lot of wins, a lot of home runs. DJ LeMahieu, uh, the machine right there. Uh, just hit after hit, bat after bat. Gary Sanchez, how's he going to be? Domingo Herman. Uh, this team has a lot of talent. But part of my rant is this, and my get your goat take. Are they the best team in the AL? Yes, they are. But guess what? They're number four on my power rankings, and they're the only AL team on there, which means that the NL teams are more prepared for the Dodgers. Dodgers are the best team. Sorry to break it to you. That's my number one, and I'll get into two and three in just a second. But the Yankees are the best team in the AL. There's no question. They're the most talented, top to bottom. They have the one of the most impressive lineups, top to bottom, rotation, bullpen, whole nine yards. But it's inconsistency, injuries, and game management. Oh, all three very important things. Corey Kluber's had injury issues. Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton seem to tweak and pull muscles left and right. Uh, Gary Sanchez last year was one of the worst players in all of baseball. Uh, and Aaron Boone is one of the worst managers in all of baseball. Brian Cashman assembles a good team. He got out, got Cole, got Kluber. He gets all these guys, and I think he's given Aaron Boone one last shot because Aaron Boone is the worst manager in all of baseball. I'd rather have anybody else. I'd rather have somebody that doesn't even know baseball just be the manager, like Ted Lasso. He didn't know anything about soccer. He didn't. I uh, didn't know nothing. He was a football coach. Got hired to be a football soccer coach, and guess what? His team did really well. I'd rather have some bum doesn't even know the sport of baseball, like uh, golf, a caddy for golf, and go manage them. Because guess what? He managed less, left the players do more, and they probably win more games. Uh, he makes terrible decisions, terrible decisions in pulling pitchers, uh, starting pitchers on rest, all of the above. Uh, Aaron Boone is really the worst. I just. Uh, I don't know what I dislike more, uh, seeing Aaron Boone on the sideline uh, chewing uh, seeds and gum or whatever, or Michigan's loss with Franz Wagner yesterday. I don't know which is worse to me. To me, I'm segueing into a terrible loss of Michigan basketball into watching Aaron Boone and this frustrating Yankees team. Only way Aaron Boone, Boone can prove to me that he's a man is if he wins a World Series. Other than that, he's a bust. Uh, get him out of there. I'm sick of him. I'm sick of looking at him. Uh, please, I might just start a petition to get rid of that bum Is a manager because he doesn't know what he's doing. He's not qualified. He wasn't a good player, not a good manager. Uh, don't come at me. That's all I have to say about that.
And that's why all the teams in the NL are priming to beat the Dodgers because they know if they take out the Dodgers, it doesn't matter who they're playing in the NL. doesn't matter if it's the Yankees, the Indians, the uh, Astros. It doesn't matter. We can take those guys out. If we get past the Dodgers, that is the World Series for us. Other than that, that's icing on the cake. That's why teams are lining up to beat the Dodgers, not lining up to beat the Yankees. Who else is lining up to beat the Dodgers? Well, number three in the Dodgers division, the San Diego Padres. Why are they number three? Well, they already have a superstar, Manny Machado. And last year they had a breakout superstar in Fernando Tatis Jr., who again, bat flips and all, exciting to the max. They have a good cast, a really good cast. They upgraded their starting rotation, got you Darvish, one of the best pitchers in baseball when he's healthy. They got traded for Blake Snell, who was just on the Tampa Bay Rays, and guess what? He was just on a team that lost to the Dodgers in the World Series with the Tampa Bay Rays. Blake Snell is with former rival Manny Machado on the same team. This is great for baseball. This in the division, young coming players, uh, they want to take on the Dodgers head first. I think they can do it. I'm ready for MLB the show. I'm ready for Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado. This San Diego Padres team could be the most exciting team to watch. I think they can catch the Dodgers if they play really tight, play really well. You know, they can win 100 games. They can take out the Dodgers. That is going to be fun to watch. Number two, this had a tough time between number two and number three, but the team I think is ahead of the Braves in their division is the New York Mets. Why? Well, they had Pete Alonso, who is the NL home run leader, who is amazing. Guess who they've got out to pair him with Francisco Lindor, one of the best shortstops in the game right now, gold glove winner. Uh, he's amazing. Jake DeGrom, one of the best pitchers in baseball, if not the best pitcher in baseball. Multiple Cy Young Award for him. He is great. Could Noah Syndergaard, Thor, be healthy? If yes, watch out for this team. DeGrom's only getting better. This team getting out and getting Lindor, to me, that was a missing piece. I think they can go out and make a lot of noise this season and challenge the Dodgers. And the Dodgers are number one. Uh, and the rich get richer. They won the World Series. Mookie Betts could be the MVP again. Cody Bellinger. They had Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw. And guess what? They went out and signed Trevor Bauer. One of the best pitchers to pair to this already great starting rotation. So there you go there. Uh, they have the best starting rotation by far. Uh, Mookie Betts, I don't like him because I don't like Red Sox either. So he goes from Red Sox to the Dodgers. But I will just say he's a good player. No more, no less. But they're going to try to challenge, you know, best record in the MLB. They're going to go pull out all the stops. But to me, until somebody beats them, somebody dethrones them, I say they're the best team. I think it'll definitely be more difficult this year. Uh, a lot more teams in the NFL making ground on them. But there you have it. You have my top five teams in the MLB going into the season. The Atlanta Braves, the New York Yankees, the San Diego Padres, the New York Mets, and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Dodgers. So now I'll just get into a couple of stats who I think is going to be leading this season. Home run in the NL. I think it's going to be Ronald Acuna Jr. He hit 41 last year in a short season. Uh, you Yes, you have Pete Alonso, who's really good. You could go with Juan Soto. 
as well. But I'm going with Ronald Acuna. He's sensational. He's on the Braves. He's a big time hitter. He'll get it done. For VAL, you know, you have Aaron Judge. I don't know if he can stay fully healthy. Mike Trout, but then again, is he healthy? I'm going to go with John Carlos Stanton. And then you could ask me, Josh, are you okay? Because is he healthy? But guess what? He's the healthiest to me out of all of them, at least more consistently. He lit it up in the postseason for the Yankees. Uh, let's not forget, he just had like uh, a few years ago, you know, that like 62, whatever, homer season. Do I see that getting replicated? But no, he can hit multiple home runs in multiple games. Now, what about the batting title, batting average title? For the NL, I think it's going to be Juan Soto. Uh, to me, it was up against him or Okunia for the home runs. But I think he's just more consistent at the plate, especially after watching him last year. Uh, most consistent in the plate, winning it last year at 351. I don't think anybody tops him. You know, you have uh, Corey Seager, you have players for the Yankees, Mookie Betts. Uh, could try to do it as well, but I don't see it. And for the AL, you cannot bet against DJ LeMahieu, the machine. Uh, he's hit 336 since joining the Yankees. Uh, I think he won it last year. He's special. It uh, just seems like he gets hit after hit, uh, especially clutch hit after clutch hit. DJ LeMahieu is a guy. I'm betting on him. Now for ERA, kind of best pitcher for the NL. I'm saying Jake DeGrom. He's the best. Uh, best out there, yes, in the NL. You know, Blake Snell could make an appearance. Uh, Trevor Bauer, for sure. But I'm going with Jake DeGrom. To me, he's just too too good, too clutch, too just night in and night out, giving it his all, making it look easy. For the AL, you know, you can go with Shane Bieber, uh, Tyler Glasnow, a variety of guys. But I'm going with Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole, to me, he's the best pitcher in the AL. He's also going to have the most strikeouts. He's the man. He's the best pitcher. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching him. Uh, I would like to see a Yankees-Dodgers matchup, Trevor Bauer, Garrett Cole, that kind of thing. But to me, you know, it's frustrating because I just named, hey, who's going to lead in the home run race? I believe Stanton, AL, LeMahieu, Cole, uh, all these guys, Yankees have talent. It's just can they get on-field results? That's the frustrating thing. But we'll see if we have are any closers to any answers tomorrow on opening day or any of the following weeks. But I'm excited. Of course, MLB opening day is going to start with Blue Jays and the Yankees. Garrett Cole and Ryu. Garrett Cole's going to win that matchup. I like the Yankees. Starting off strong to the season. But you have that great matchup. I think the Yankees will win. You have the Braves and Phillies. Bryce Harper, Ronald Acuna Jr. That's amazing. I expect a big year for him. Bryce Harper, I think he wants to get back onto that MVP ladder. Dodgers-Rockies will be good. Mets-Nationals. Astros-Athletics. I mean, big time. MLB opening day tomorrow. Let's see what happens. Hope everybody has a good Wednesday. Happy Wednesday to you all. Talk to you guys soon. Bye, everybody.